0: Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Mike Sakopoulos and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership.
1: Professional school teaches more than just core knowledge needed for the profession. The professors and the curriculum become a shared experience for students. We can all remember a special faculty member that gave us his or her time and wisdom as we struggled through a course. We remember classmates and first patients. Both what and how we are taught impacts the profession and individual careers. In this episode of Sound Practice, we are taking a deep dive into medical education from the point of view of the student. There's much to discuss about the pathway to the medical profession, so let's begin. My guest today is Michael Walls. Dr. Walls is a physician based in Connecticut. More importantly, he is the president of the American Medical Student Association. Dr. Walls, welcome to Sound Practice.
2: Hi, it's so good to be here. It's nice to meet you.
1: This is my pleasure. So I'm interested in knowing more about the American Medical Student Association. you tell me about the history of
2: AMSA? Yeah, so uh, AMSA was originally founded in uh, 1950. We were actually the student section of the AMA, the American Medical Association. Um, and over the first 15 or so years um, as a student section of the AMA, we had eventually sort of broke off for uh, philosophical differences from the organization and changed our name, I believe in around 1968. At which point we we used to be SAMA, the Student American Medical Association, and that switched to AMSA, American Medical Student Association. Uh, when we did that, uh, AMA created uh, created the new current student section. But since then, AMSA has been very involved both politically and in within medical education. Some of the the big things that we've worked on is um, advocating on Capitol Hill for uh, things like the um, Family Practice Act of 1970. We were one of the organizations that worked with the match or NRMP to change the match algorithm to favor medical students. We also did things like working on uh, residency work hours, limiting those to 80 hours a week, which is still a lot, but is better than the uh, no restrictions from before. Things like Earth Day. So we've been involved politically, you know, since the early 50s or since, yeah, since the early 50s. And then we've had a lot of really incredible alumni come out of the organization. So one you had on the show recently was uh, Dr. Jay Bott, who was our our president, I believe, 2007. Dr. Leanna Wen, who is a former health director for Maryland, president of Planned Parenthood, and you know she's she's all over the place on CNN, MSNBC. Those are some of our more more notable and um, pretty well regarded and well respected alumni who are both AMSA presidents. And so we've we've had a long a long history of getting involved um, with advocacy and trying to uh, not just advocate for ourselves as as future physicians, but for patients and trying to make sure that our patients are having equitable access to to healthcare. And of course, that's always an ongoing battle, but something that we've been dedicated to for a long time.
1: Excellent. Well, you certainly have some some big shoes to fill, Doctor Wall. <laughs> that's true. What, what are the criteria for membership? Do you accept international students? What
2: about postgrads, residents, fellows? Yeah, so really anyone in within the whole spectrum from pre-med to full-fledged attending physician, um, we have spots for. We we most of our, our work is geared directly towards our domestic medical students. Um, but we do have a fair number of international medical students, primarily in the Caribbean, but um, i have a few few friends within amsa who have gone to school in poland and uh, a couple from i believe iran um so we do have both international and domestic medical students we have a very large and uh engaged pre-medical uh sort of branch um who have been you know most of them join as a way to you know get involved and learn more about how to get into um, medical school uh, but then we also have a few orders few other um Sort of fringe benefits where if you're a family member of a medical student, you can join. You know, primarily in like a supporting role. Mm-hmm. Um, we have um, membership for our uh, residents. We call we call our uh, former AMSA alumni. We call them oats, old AMSA types. Um, so we have a <laughs> lot of ways that we're trying to engage our our oats. Uh, and one of our board members is our graduate trustee, who's sort of in charge of bringing all of them, uh, all of our alumni back in and you know, helping to mentor some of our our younger members.
1: In preparing to speak with you today, I reviewed the American Medical Student Association's website. Uh, You head an impressive organization. How is AMSA funded?
2: Uh, We're primarily funded from um, our membership dues. Um, We do also you know, we get get a fair amount of of donations from alumni from other organizations. Um, We have a a grant from an anonymous donor that funds our reproductive health project. Um, So we've been doing a lot of work in in that respect, which um, was good timing, we are in about to hopefully about to enter our fourth year of the grant. Um, And so the timing for that was, um, unfortunately, rather perfect. But um, so we, we primarily f- uh, function based off of our membership dues, which allows us to do most of our things um, from our annual convention every year, which uh, will be, ne- uh, we already had it this year, next year will be in June. Um, but yeah, primarily from membership dues and and some partnerships with other organizations.
1: So you started to, to allude to this, but I'm I'm interested about some of the current initiatives of your organization. Can you tell us about some things that are going on?
2: Yeah, so some of our biggest projects right now um, is like I just mentioned the reproductive health project. Um, This has been one of the more impressive projects I've seen come out of AMSA, um, at least since I've been involved for the last, oh gosh, almost, almost nine years. Um, But with that we're really interested in connecting medical students and pre medical students with um, policymakers around abortion, um, abortion providers themselves, uh, patient advocates. Um, and so it's been our biggest project. We actually just last night had a um an interview with uh, Liz Winstead, who is um the co-creator of the Daily Show and currently running um the Abortion Access Front. So we heard from her and you know she's a comedian. So it was um talking about a very serious issue but in a, a very candid way. And so Um, We're really trying to focus on that front, on um, educating medical students on how to advocate for their patients um, and really just what abortion is and why we consider it to be um, integral to to just health in general. Um, But outside of that, we also um, have put a big emphasis on medical education reform, um, especially since COVID, medical education has changed pretty drastically. And so one of our, our big projects um, is our medical education scorecard where we're surveying medical students um, to figure out you know, what parts of their education are important um, and then determining how well their schools are doing that with the idea behind it to be, um, if we can show schools like, hey, you're kind of lacking um, it in your student wellness programs or anything like that, that we can show them like, hey, this is an area for you to improve and then potentially provide them with resources and point them to schools that are doing it better. Um, and then you know we have eight action committees and five campaigns that cover essentially pretty much everything you could think of it in medicine so we have our global health team community and public health environmental health uh wellness and student life med students for gun safety healthcare for all so we have you know initiatives for all of those things building in um phone banking, writing letters to the editor, and working with local members to sort of help facilitate the advocacy and, and build leadership skills.
1: Give me some idea of the size of your
2: organization. How, how many members do you have? Um, you know, we're, we're just putting those numbers together, so I don't have exact numbers, but uh, we're somewhere around 20 to 30,000 uh, members, and that's a combination of um, medical students, pre-medical students, and international.
1: Yeah, congratulations. That doesn't happen by accident. Well, well it done. It does not. Um, so we at the American Association for Physician Leadership are obviously firm believers in the importance of physician leadership. Why is medical student involvement in leadership and advocacy important to AMSA?
2: Yeah, and I, I think that's really the integral question, question to why AMSA exists in the first place. Um I think just because of of our status as medical students and as future physicians were seen as as leaders in society. And so I think um just the fact that of of the nature of who we are and the path that we've chosen that you know it's almost expected of us to uh, not necessarily i think in older generations it's that there's not been the same approach of um the importance of advocacy, at least not on the scale I think it is now, but I think um, you know, Pretty much, no one I've talked to disagrees that our healthcare system's broken. Our education system is is failing, um, and not just for providers, but or not just for patients, but also for providers. And so, um, with medical student advocacy, I think there's so many different areas that that we can improve um, from a, a medical student or from an education perspective. Um, you know, we learn a lot about um, how to pass past step 1 or level 1 which is uh, you take after the second year of medical school but we don't talk um all that much about um you know the things that really impact our patient and one of the things that's come out in the last you know probably 20 or so years is um your zip code determines more than your genetic code in terms of your health and medical education has not really changed to adapt that until just recently i was actually talking to Um, someone at my own school who's a couple years behind me and when I was there we had one student-led lecture on some of the structural competencies and how um, things like white supremacy can negatively impact our our, uh, black patients Um, and I was when I was talking to her it now our school has um, like a whole course where they spend several several lectures throughout uh, each semester they have um, standardized patients where you can sort of practice on um, someone who's there to sort of critique you. Um, we have transgender standardized patients. And so I think all of that, or I know all of that came from um, people in my class and from the uh, the years um, before and after me, uh, through their advocacy was able to change change the curriculum just that way. And so I think that um, sort of highlights why it's so important for medical students to get into, involved in advocacy. Um, And then in terms of the larger political realm, I think um, things like the, uh, at least at the time of recording this, the inevitable overturn of Roe v. Wade um, has a very significant impact on even myself as a, um, I'll be applying into emergency medicine and just the fact that uh, a lot of these states are going to be restricting abortion, even if I don't perform abortions myself, it definitely changes how I would approach a patient who's having a miscarriage and what medications I can give them. So one of the medications we use to treat is, um, we call it meso and I actually, depending on the state may not be able to prescribe that for someone who um, is having a a miscarriage because of some of the laws. And so it really um, impacts myself and other medical students as we're applying to residency and where we can safely practice without fear of being personally prosecuted um and so i think you know on a personal note that's that's how it impacts medical students and then we see it every day in our patients um i was practicing in a a hospital that was um a large population of migrant farm workers uh generally low uh health literacy something like 70 percent of our patients were monolingual spanish speakers and so there's the sheer volume of of people I saw with just uncontrolled diabetes who came in on um, DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis, or um, having amputations because of their uncontrolled diabetes is, is hard to watch as a medical student. Um, and I think really also highlights how important it is that medical students get involved. There are many student organizations out there. Why AMSA? Yeah, that's a a great question. So I think, and we work with a lot of the other uh, medical student organizations on various issues. I think where AMSA is unique is, um, from an advocacy perspective, we're not focused on on one particular issue. Um, So we have groups that we work with, like the uh, Med Students for Choice, who work on uh, reproductive health and uh, abortion access, Med Student Pride Alliance focuses on, um, transgender health and, and LGBTQ or yeah, LGBTQ health. Um, and so with AMSA, because of our sort of just general, we're just an, a, the American Medical Student Association, we can sort of focus on all of these issues. And so I had mentioned earlier that we have um, all of our action committees and campaigns, which really allows us to be mobile and work with individual chapters on whatever ish, issue interests them. So if one, ish, one um, chapter say in, Oklahoma, after the Tulsa shooting, was um, really interested in getting involved with uh, Med Students for Gun Safety. We have avenues to do that, Um, so we can really adapt to the political realm at the time. Um, And then also because we've been around for so long and because of uh, the number of members we have, we have a full-time staff that sort of helps us with some of the -the behind-the-scenes things, helping us keep track of our budget, helping make sure our programming runs smoothly. Um, and so with that, it allows our national leaders who we have more or less 70, um, to really focus on engaging members and creating the content that uh, really engages our, our medical students. And then for myself, I am I graduated from medical school and I'm taking a year off to do AMSA full-time before residency, um, which really allows me to work with, uh, or to build relationships with other organizations, to work with, we've been working with the White House, the Office of the Surgeon General. And so we we really get to build those relationships and make sure that the medical student voice is heard um, which all of the other medical student organizations do as well but just because of the the nature and how amsa is structured we're able to sort of do like i can do that full-time which certainly helps and then from our education perspective we have lots of opportunities for medical students to sort of fill in the gaps of medical education so we have our scholars programs which focus on everything from general advocacy to healthcare for all to transgender health health disparities and sort of learning, you know, like I had talked about um, at my school, we didn't have a whole lot in terms of the structural competencies, but by joining AMSA, I can take these scholars programs and sort of fill in those gaps on my own. And of course, now, uh, hopefully the the people from my school wouldn't need that.
1: Tell me a little bit more about the scholars program. How, what's involved and in, in how does it, how does it work?
2: Yeah, so with the scholars programs there twice a year, so I actually I I can't remember which one happens when, but we have them every um, fall semester and then every spring semester we will have. A a number of of these scholars programs um, that meet for usually an hour once or twice a month, depending on the program um, and hear from experts, and these are all medical student run so we have. um, Two or three medical students who sort of run the program and figure out. Um, not necessarily delivering all the content because obviously we're also still learning, but coordinating and finding the speakers um, mm-hmm. to come talk about. So with our our transgender uh, health scholars programs, um, we'll bring in experts in in um, you know estrogen and and um, hormone therapy to sort of teach medical students how to how to treat those patients. Um, and I think one with that in particular that really struck me uh, when i was talking to our our transgender scholars program was um particularly with estrogen with a risk of that is um it increases the risk of stroke and so with some people you're like oh i maybe not the best idea to prescribe them estrogen but then when you also think about okay well it increases the risk of stroke by two to three percent but then it decreases the risk of suicide by like 30 to 40 percent. it's really not as dangerous as it makes it seem and so that was one of the the that's one of the areas where we can really improve, um, the education of medical students. And so our scholars programs are personally one of my favorite ways for medical students to sort of fill in those gaps.
1: So Dr. Wall, you and your, your colleagues at, at AMSA are, are really the future of the medical profession. What change do you see the next generation of physicians making to the way medicine is practiced?
2: Yeah, I, I honestly I think it's gonna be quite drastic um over the next couple decades as as my generation, you know, finishes residency and starts to get more involved with leadership. Um, you know, I think we're already seeing it in education um with students taking taking the initiative to say, you know, we're not learning how to treat um our patients, we're learning how to treat diseases. And this has been something that I think has been. In the works for a while, and I think um, over the last few years we've really seen that shift where um, medical students are taking an, an, a vested interest in what they're actually learning and helping to change the curriculum themselves. Uh, I've talked to countless medical students, both in AMSA and in other organizations, who um, you know, they'll, when they're working on their clinical rotations, they see um, in the EMR we have GFR based on African Americans and for there was one study i think probably like 50 years ago that um the gfr and Af- our african-american patients was somehow different and you know that's caused a lot of um worsening outcomes for our black patients in terms of needing kidney transplants and getting on treatment for that um, and so a number of medical students have already worked with their their hospitals worked with the cmos to have those removed from the emr in general so that it doesn't Negatively impact our African American patients, uh, and I think that's really just part of it. Um, even when I was running, going through medical school, uh, a couple of classmates and I were talking about, you know, if we had our own medical school, like what we would do differently and how we would restructure that. And so I think um, as we get into education and as we get it more involved in in politics, that we're really going to see, um, or I hope that we'll see a big change in, you know how we deliver healthcare and, um, and how we both how we deliver from a systemic perspective, as well as how we deliver it on an individual perspective. Um, And I'm hoping that with that, especially that increased focus on the social determinants of health increasing diversity in medicine, um, that will start to close the gap between um, the health disparities affecting people of color compared to uh, non Hispanic white patients who do much better in almost every regard.
1: I think you've anticipated kind of where I was I was headed um, here, doctor. and certainly medicine's dynamic and in, in evolving uh, quickly, and when you compare that to higher education, which is more geologic in its evolutionary speed, um, what specifically do you think needs to be changed in the medical education? curriculum. I know you're talking about having your own medical school. Give me some, uh, some specific things that you would do uh, differently. I'm, I'm very interested in this.
2: Yeah. So I I wish I had pulled up my, I had an XO sheet, but I'm not even sure. I still have that on my computer of what I would do. Um, But I think a big part of it is um, I was actually just at a conference hearing from a PA who was teaching at a, a PA school of how they did it that I think was I believe it was at Duke, um, was a really impressive way of approaching it where they had a whole class that was just dedicated to addressing health disparities. And so as they were talking, going through renal, they talked about, you know, things like the um, GFR for Black patients and and the negative impacts of that and how they can, um, you know, we're getting away from the term uh, cultural competency. um, And I believe the best phrase is cultural humility and sort of understanding um, how to treat various patients. And so they had an entire course dedicated to um, that and like how you think about, you know, as you're going through your pulmonary lecture, how other factors outside of, um, you know, just cystic fibrosis and asthma, but like what environmental factors uh, impact that. So things like just thinking about the fact that your patient, you know, just moved to the area and they might be in a house that has asbestos, like even something as simple as like asking the extra questions and, and, I think really what what's been missing in medical education and and still in in medicine for most providers is um, our social history tends to be you know do you smoke do you drink any recreational drugs and sometimes are you working um, and I think that's that's an area that if I had my own medical school I, medical school I would expand significantly to think about all of the other factors and not just um, you know, are you working? but like, what kind of job? how are you lifting or like, are you lifting anything? um and really trying to expand like thinking about what other factors might contribute to a disease, also including things like whether or not they're able to afford medication and um things of that nature. I'd also um there have been a lot of studies that um unfortunately, empathy decreases year to year within medical school. So your first year medical students are, very empathetic, but by the time they graduate, um, that's dropped off fairly significantly. And I think a big part of that is, um, you know, wellness in in medical school is is not great. I think it's improving in most schools at this point. Have um, therapists and things to uh, help their medical students with uh, suffering from mental health disorders, but um, the the structure of the medical school itself, because in part because it's so rigorous. Uh, is really not conducive to good mental health practices Um, and so I think there are certainly ways to um, improve that a lot thinking about when you're taking tests and providing opportunities for students to you know where it's not every test is super high stress and if you fail it then you're done for the year type of thing. the things that, you know, keep all of the medical students up at night. But so I think those are two of the biggest things I would change is um, working to not decrease the empathy, bringing in um, real patients and hearing from them. Because I think the first two years of medical school, you don't get much of that. Um, And it makes it difficult to, you know, I'm learning all about um, heart transplants, but, you know, I don't necessarily, I don't see a patient with a heart transplant. So it, it, really creates this disconnect of like, we're learning about the diseases and not how to treat a patient. Um, and so I think, you know, bringing in patients and hearing from, hearing their stories early um, is, is really important too. We're
1: running short on time, but I'm interested to know where you see uh, AMSA going in the next year to two years. What issues will you be focusing on? What does the future yeah. look like?
2: Uh, so the biggest one, of course, is uh, reproductive health, because of the the work we've been doing there with our reproductive health grant and our reproductive health project. Uh, that's our biggest priority. And we've been working with a number of different groups and um, working with a couple of people in the White House to really find ways to to increase abortion access because, you know, beyond just having an effect on our patients, it has an effect on how medicine is practiced in general. Um, And so reproductive health is absolutely going to be one of our our biggest sticking points. I talked about the medical education scorecard, and I think working with organizations on um, mental health and medical education reform and how we can ensure that our medical students and future physicians are are really learning um, how to treat their patients and ensuring that, you know, physician burnout is, or just healthcare burnout is at an all-time high, and it's even higher for Medical students and and residents, um, and so really focusing on mental health is a big one. And then I think the the next biggest thing is with um, access to healthcare and lowering drug prices. Uh, we've been working on lowering uh, working with the uh, lowering drug prices now for a while, and I think um, that's one of those areas where we we think we can really make a big impact on. Um, you know, we tried working on uh, lowering Medicare or allowing Medicare to negotiate drug prices uh, when with Build Back Better. So we're um, unfortunately that one didn't pass, but we're still optimistic that we can make uh, a big difference there. Um, and then another sort of big topic that um, has not gotten enough attention politically uh, was one of the provisions in Build Back Better was the ATA subsidies, which are set to expire um, on December thirty first, and so. On January first, if Congress and hasn't done anything by then, our most vulnerable patients are going to see fairly significant increases in their healthcare premiums, which you know could trigger the the death spiral and see a lot of people just dropping health insurance because they can't afford it or um, switching to uh, worse insurance plans where you know they effectively don't have health insurance, and so. Um, I think those are our our biggest issues. Of course, we're also going to continue working um, in uh, gun violence prevention, keep working on environmental health and how climate change impacts health. So we're not going to forget about everything else, of course, but those are our big priorities for the year.
1: Dr. Michael Walls, keep up the good work, sir. Thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. It was a joy to be here. My thanks to Dr. Michael Walls president of the American Medical Student Association. His time and thoughtfulness are much appreciated. My thanks also to the American Association for Physician Leadership for making this podcast possible. Please join me next time on Sound Practice. We release a new episode every other Wednesday. Bada bing,
2: bada boom.
0: You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. <laughs>